Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We're back in the book of Second Chronicles uh, this week, today being Monday. We took a break for the weekend. Hope you're doing well. Um, we're putting back in at um, chapter 12. Remember, we've, uh, you know, Solomon, after he passed, uh, he had a son, Rehoboam, who was a lousy king. He took over in the southern part. Uh, he... Um, uh, uh, did not take the counsel of his elder uh, advisors. He took the counsel of the younger advisors and increased taxes and uh, made it even harsher on the people. Um, it split the nation. You've got Judah and the tribe of Benjamin in the southern part, um, referred to as Judah. And then you've got all the other ten tribes of Israel in the north, and a guy named Jeroboam the first. Jeroboam uh, was leading this sort of uh, revolt against the taxation of um, uh, coming from Jerusalem, and so the the people are sick of all this excess taxes. So you've got a divided kingdom, and it wasn't like Jeroboam was any good himself. Both of these kings were really forsaking God's commandments. So as we see when that happens, um, you know, the nation Israel falls away. But, um, you know, this is now the nation's story through God's perspective as opposed to the nation's story from man's perspective. That would be the book of First and Second Kings. Now we're in the book of First and Second Chronicles, and we're looking at the history of the nation Israel from God's perspective. And of course, when they are unfaithful to God, that's the trouble. That's the start of it. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Chapter 12, verse 10, King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. In other words, um, the Egyptian king Shishak comes in and he um, is getting ready to take over Jerusalem because of the weakness now of the kingdom. And basically, uh, Jeroboam, uh, uh, I'm sorry, King Rehoboam 
who's the southern kings, this is this would have been Solomon's son, Rehoboam, basically has to pay off this Egyptian king with uh, the gold that was in, you know, the temple. You know, what a lousy, you know, uh, thing. He, after Solomon had done all this, you know, Israel was at its pinnacle, and then look what happens. The son has to pay off a foreign king you know, to keep the nation from being taken over. So the kingdom now is divided and in place of the golden shields in the time of Solomon, now King Rehoboam now in the place we see bronze shields. So just just one of these foreshadowing of God's judgment, it just is a vivid, you know, metaphor here of you know, the the um, the step down that the nation is taking. Uh, and verse 11, And as often uh, as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard came back and carried them and brought them back to the guard room. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of God turned from him so as not to make a complete destruction. In other words, God was ready to forgive as uh, but if uh, King Rehoboam would humble himself, and that's the thing, you know, humility is so important uh, in God's eyes to be able to humble yourself. Um, moreover, conditions were good in Judah. Verse 13, so King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned, and Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen uh, out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was name, uh, Nama the Ammonite. So uh, he was an Ammonite, uh, a descendant of the Ammonite, and he did evil. Okay, so the mother gets the credit, as McGee says, and he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Now, the acts of Rehoboam from his first to the last, are they not written in the chronicles of uh, Shemaiah, the prophet of Ido, the seer? Okay, in other words, we get a lot more in the kings, you know, first and second kings, from man's perspective. So this is, this is sort of like from God's perspective, you can have all that, but I'm just giving you... God's perspective. So Rehoboam slept with his father and was buried in the city of David, and his son reigned in his place. In the 18th, this is now we come to chapter 13, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, okay, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micah, uh, the daughter of Ural of Gibbeth. And now there was war between Abijah Okay, and Jeroboam. Jeroboam remembers the king on the north side. And Abijah went out to battle, having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. And Jeroboam drew up his line of battle against him with 800,000 chosen mighty warriors. And then Abijah stood up on the mountain of Zerubbabel, that is uh, in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel, ought you... Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a son of a servant 
of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord, and certain worthless scoundrels gathered about him and defied Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and the and irresolute and could not withstand him. Okay, so he's sort of laying it out. Verse 13, Jeroboam sent an ambush around to come up from them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah, and the ambush was from behind them. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of and behind them. And then they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets, and the men of Judah raised the battle shout. And when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people struck them with great force, so there there felt slain Israel, 500,000 chosen men. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time, and the men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages, and um, Jeshenah with its villages, and Ephron with its villages. Jeroboam did not recover from power uh, in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him down. Uh, and he died, but Abijah grew mighty, and he took 14 wives, 22 sons, 16 daughters. The rest of Abijah and his ways and his sayings are written in the story of the prophet Ida. So Abijah's not a great uh, king. The really great king comes, the next good king comes with Asa. Verse 14, Abijah slept with his father, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son... Uh, reigned in his place, and in his days uh, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded uh, Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law of the commandment. And he took out all the cities of Judah, the high places, the incense, the altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. From God's perspective, isn't it interesting? We don't get a lot of, you know, you know, political decisions here. The first thing we get is whether he did right in the eyes of the Lord and whether his heart was to seek God to worship. Verse 9, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marish. And Asa went out to meet him and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephyrath at Marish. And Asa cried to the Lord, his God, O Lord, there is none like you. So Asa is now crying out to God. Asa is praying, right? And so Asa cries uh, to the Lord, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord 
defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Jera, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And the men of Judah carried away very much spoil. God gives Asa a great, great victory. Uh, verse 15 now. So now we're coming here, and we're going to see what Asa does with all this. Verse 1 of chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azra, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. And while you are with him, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. You know, McGee makes the point, same thing with us. If you, God's not playing around. If you're there to seek him, you will find him. And if you forsake him, you know, he forsakes you. For a long time, Israel was without a true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found. He was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out to, or to him who came in for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, uh, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and he put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill countries of Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel. When they saw the Lord, his God was with him. And they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of his reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, seven hundred oxen, seven thousand sheep. They entered into a covenant to seek, to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. McGee seems to, McGee was saying, look, this is a revival. Asa is leading a revival. They're seeking God with all their heart and with all their soul. It is a covenant renewal. And um, they mark it down like when it occurred. So Asa's prayer, as my study Bible says, reflects the situation envisioned. Uh, many, um, many of the motifs of sacrifice Feist warfare found in chapter 13 are expressed here as well as uh, will recur in chapter 20. A prayer is made by the king before battle expressing trust in God. Judah faces overwhelming odds and Yahweh strikes the enemy. The fear of the Lord was upon them and the plunder was used for sacrifices. So that's what we need to understand 
If we seek God, we will find him. And God will be with us no matter what the odds are. So we're going to stop here. We'll turn the rest of the podcast over to our co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing your take on this study today. And as always, from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield. And we'll see you here next time tomorrow as we continue our study through the book of Second Chronicles. And as always... Our prayers go up for sweet Emma and sweet Jean. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Second Chronicles, beginning at chapter 12, verse 10, all the way through to chapter 15, verses 1 through to verse 12. So we will be putting emphasis in um, the book of Second Chronicles on that which God puts emphasis on and that's, you know, they are five great revival periods in um, the, the book of Second Chronicles. So we'll see, like, there were five outstanding kings who led the nation into revival. That's... um from the southern kingdom that's uh, Judah the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin so scripture reads verse 10 then king Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. So, um, Rehoboam had not kept the law of God. Um, he forsook God's word and God allowed them to be attacked by other nations from the outside. And this is something that had never happened before um, because God had put a wall around <clears throat> that nation. Now the enemy is now coming in. And the first enemy to actually come in was um, Shishak. That's the king of Egypt. Um, He came in and carried away a lot of wealth. You know, a lot of the booty. So most of it um, he carried away. And among the things he, he took were the shields of gold. And so Rehoboam now has to substitute that which is more inferior, you know, from gold. He has to substitute it with brass. And he now makes shields of brass and puts them in. And this was a very humbling experience for Rehoboam. Okay, verse 11 reads, And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the God would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guardroom. Verse 12, when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. So, you know, the minute here, like from what we've read, the minute they actually turned and humbled themselves, God immediately withdrew judgment upon upon them 
and the pun, the combination of the pun of Rehoboam and people and the people of Judah. So, you know, the minute we trust God and we turn to Him, God listens and God, um, God is there waiting for us to actually just turn to Him and believe in Him. Verse 13 goes on to read, Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned, and reigned, sorry. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem and in Jerusalem the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. He put his name there. His mother's name was Nama Anamorites Anamoritis. So, you know, if we recall when we go back to uh the book of Kings, David was friendly with the Amorites. So we actually read about this. And you know, although they actually they made war against David, he had David had been friendly to, towards them. <clears throat> so God always gives the man's if you've noticed the man's mother because she bears responsibility. So she if he's a good king, um she takes part of the responsibility. And if he turns out to be a wicked king, she also takes part of the blame. Okay, verse fourteen goes on to read and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The acts of Rehoboam first and last are they not written in the book of Shemaiah, the prophet, and Edo the seer concerning genealogies. And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. Okay, so the emphasis is on the kingdom of Judah in the south. And that's the Davidic line. So now, in chapter 13, we go on to read verse 1. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. Verse 2, he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was my Kaya, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So, you know, there was a civil war that, you know, an internal strife that was going on all this time. And this was like weakening the kingdom. Verse 3 goes on to read. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up a battle formation, also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim, which is in the mountain of Ephraim, and said, I hear, and said, Hear me, 
Jeroboam and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the, gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by covenant of salt? Verse 6, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. So, you know, there was a reason for what was happening, and it was the foolishness of Rehoboam. He started the whole, you know, war and rebellion because he didn't want to listen to wise counsel from the older generation. Verse 7. Um, it goes on to read, Then worthless rouges gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. So, you know, Rehoboam, he was not just young, young, young and inexperienced. He was not wise. He was foolish. So we see here a plea from Abijah's part to try and bring back the Ten Kingdoms, you know, to try and reason Jeroboam. So it's actually futile because Jeroboam had made himself king and he was not going to rescind and step down. Verse 13 goes on to read and drop down. It reads, But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was on both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel um, before <coughs> Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Then Abijah and his people struck them <clears throat> with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Okay. So this, in this civil war, it brought, it, which was brought up by the sins of the people, we have here a great slaughter that happened <clears throat> verse 19 <clears throat> goes on to read and Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him Bethel with its villages <clears throat> yes Hannah with its villages and Ephraim with its villages so Jeroboam did not recover strength <clears throat> again in the days <clears throat> sorry of Abijah and the Lord struck him and he died <clears throat> okay. So here, no Abijah isn't he is not a great king, but after him comes that the son that actually led to the first revival, and you know we see this because verse twenty one reads, but Abijah grew mighty 
um, married 14 wives and begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. So here, like we see, he goes on and does this very same things that his father and his grandfather had done. He went and married more than one wife. Um, and just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's permitted. It's recorded for because it actually happened. And we get to chapter four, fifteen, and in chapter four, sorry, chapter fourteen, chapter fourteen, he goes on to read verse one. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. So this is the first revival that we're gonna see here. Um, and here we have the road to revival. So the road to revival, anytime is not a smooth one. It will be marked and it will be clear, but it's an uphill struggle and battle. So Azar is one of the five kings that God used <clears throat> to bring revival to the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom, kingdom of Israel um, never had a revival. So they had 19 bad kings. And in Judah, they were 20 kings. 10 could be called good and five of them outstanding. You know, and that is Azer, Jehoshaphat, Joash, um, Hezekiah, and Josiah. So during their reign... Of these five, these were a, a period of reformation. There was actually a period of reformation, and it was incubated in the, a time of revival. So Asa was the first of the outstanding five. Solomon was his great grandfather, the son of Abijah, and Rehoboam was um, his grandfather. Verse 2. Chapter 14 reads, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. So this is the character of the king and the man. Verse 3 goes on to read, For the re he removed, sorry, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, um, sorry, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. Verse 5, he also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. So his character, um, Azar is outstanding verse 6 goes on to read and he built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest he had no war in those years because he because the Lord had given him rest Um, so he's the man of peace also he just never wanted any wars to fight any wars. And we drop down to verse 9. And verse 9 reads, Then Zerah, 
the Ethiopian came out against them with an army um, of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Mara, Mare Shaha, Mare Shah. Sorry, Mare Shah. Something like that. Okay. So we told that, you know, Ethiopia made war against him here. And verse 10 goes on to read. So Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle at in battle array in the village of Zephata at Merasha. Okay, Merasha. Actually, yeah, that's how it's read. Um verse eleven goes on to read, and Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for the rest on you, for we rest in you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God, do not let man prevail against you you so um here he is a man with a good character and a peaceful man and he prayed um he was a very prayerful man and he prayed sincerely and this is a real prayer not flowery and he doesn't go you know beat about the bush he actually goes to the point and says exactly what they needed Okay, so we drop down to verse 13, and verse 13 goes on to read, And Azar and the people who were in, who were with him pursued them to get to Gera. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken. Um, yeah, for they were broken before the Lord, and yeah, and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. So verse 13 here, so God gave them a victory in um, God gave them actually a victory in the state. So we actually come to the first bridge here that one has to cross over in revival. And that's chapter um, 15. First one reads, sorry to verse one to verse three. The spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Azar and said to him, "Hear me, Azar, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For as long." For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. So, um, here, in, if we look at our times today, 
We don't have teachings in church. We don't need more preachers and we get those by the dozen truckloads. We don't need more preachers. We need teachers who teach the word of God. And this is what they actually needed in that day. They didn't have teaching priests. They had priests, Levites, but they were not teaching priests. And so they... Um, so they were without the law of God, so and they didn't have the word of God. Verse 4 goes on to read, But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. So, you know, if one means business, if you mean business with God, he will mean business with you, with you and me. So if we seek God, he's always there. We ought to search our hearts. God's always ready to meet us anytime we are ready. Verse 5 and 2 7 goes on to read. And those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was all the inhabitants was on all the inhabitants of Israel. So Nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. Verse 7 But you be strong, but you, yeah, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So here, Hazel was actually beginning to turn to God. And the prophet encourages him in this. <clears throat> so so um, the prophet is encouraging Abel in his turning to God and emphasizes, explains rather to him why they had had the trouble that they were going through. Um, because they forsook the Lord. So in other in, in this hour and time we're living in. We need God. We need to turn to God in all the troubles we are facing. We need God in our lives. Okay, scripture goes into read, verse 8, and I'll read down all the way through to verse 12. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule, vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Verse then so they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa and they offered to the Lord all that time 
hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil that they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. So, you know, they actually, they are turning to God and to the word. And like we said, we'll come to the first bridge um, of revival and the first bridge that one has to cross. And it's the only way to actually get over it. One has to have... Um, so one has to have an, a knowledge of God to cross that bridge. One, into, one has to have a knowledge of the Word of God, and this is what characterizes characterizes rather all five periods of revival. So those are turning to the Word of God. So there was a return to the Word of God, and there is no substitute for God's Word. We can't have a real revival unless it's actually based on the Word of God. And people come to know the word of God. Like we said, we don't need more preachers today. We need more teaching on the word of God. So this is our teaching for today. Thank you all for listening in. God bless you all and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.